0: If you are able, please stand to show reverence to the Lord as we join in hearing his word. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Psalm chapter 50, verses 1-6, through page 473 in your pew bibles. The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes, he does not keep silence before him is a devouring fire around him a mighty tempest he calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice the heavens declare his righteousness for god himself is judge our new testament reading is second corinthians chapter 4 verses 3 through 6 page 965 in your pew bibles and even if our gospel is veiled it is veiled to those who are perishing in their case the god of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of christ who is the image of god for what we proclaim is not ourselves but jesus christ as lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake for God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Please be seated.
1: Please join me in prayer as we. Open God's word. Our Father in heaven, we bow before you in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is glorious. And we ask, O God, that you would enable the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts to be acceptable in your sight. Because you are our strength and you are our redeemer. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you're born blind you don't know what it means to see. For someone to talk to you about sight is a joke and can sound like a fantasy. And to say things like red and Blue and green are are all things that you're completely unable to relate to because you're blind and the world is all dark and that darkness is what you know. You don't even know that your lack of vision is called dark. It isn't until someone with sight comes along and they're able to help you to see The sighted person helps you to begin to see colors, to help you understand that there's more than just shadow. They introduce you to reality, the truth about the world, as it really is, and not the lie you've been living with. You think of Ann Sullivan with deaf and blind Helen Keller. Anne had sight up until she was five years old when her sight was diminished by a disease, but she knew what it was like to see. So she could help that stubborn, spoiled, blind, deaf girl, Helen Keller. Spoiled and stubborn is the way that Helen was described. But Anne, in the movie titled, she was dubbed in the movie, Miracle worker, because of the way she helped Helen Keller. Well, so this is Transfiguration Sunday. What does that have to do with it? Yeah, so, so the transfiguration of Jesus, it do, what it does for us is it introduces us to reality. It shows us that we have been blind and unable to see the world as it really is. Being confronted with Jesus' transfiguration we are then set up for transformation, transformed from blindness to having sight, from darkness to light, from a colorless existence to being dazzled by a spectacular array of colors and beauty everywhere you turn. And now, having your eyes opened, you begin to tell others, who were born blind, that there is a world of light and colors and beauty that they are missing. But like each of us, at first, they don't believe it. They need the transfiguration of Jesus so they can be transformed. But since they are rejecting you, how do you keep telling them about the light they can't see? How do you tell them about colors they have never experienced. And how will you know that, how will they know that you're genuine and not trying to gain power over them and take advantage of, of their blindness? What would you do to make it real for them? See, this is the Apostle Paul's dilemma with the church at Corinth. In our scripture reading there in 2 Corinthians, it speaks of, of veils that keep from seeing, blinded minds, light being summoned from darkness. You see, Paul, if you recall, he was a man who was struck blind before he could see. And once his eyes were opened, once he experienced the glory of Jesus, he was transformed forever. He can't unsee What he has seen. He can't help but keep telling the nations what he now sees. But it all began with a transformation that's set off by the transfiguration wherein he saw Jesus the Christ in glory. Then this is what you and I are faced with as believers and, and members of the body of Christ. We need to see. The transfigured Christ, so that we might be transformed. See, if our eyes are opened by Christ and and we're no longer blind, his glory is illuminating our hearts and minds together. And we are living to tell others that they are blind. But sight has come through Jesus Christ. But we have to keep in mind our audience our message and why we keep on this mission. We are telling them by our living together that the transfigured Christ has the power to transform them. So how do we do that? Well, the answer is in verse five. For what we proclaim, Paul writes, is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord. You see, this sums up the way to approach our audience how we handle the message and why we stay on mission so if so here's here's the thesis here's the thought in the in this passage if what we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord we are addressing the veil of the perishing with the view of our proclamation because of the voice summoning projection he said pastor I hope that makes sense Well, that's what we're going to do in the next few minutes, I hope. So let's think about this in verse 3 and 4. The veil of the perishing. Listen to what Paul writes. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul is on the defense in this letter to the Corinthians. You know, he planted this church, and this is the second letter that he's now, well, the second letter that we know of, that we have, that was written, because there was probably another letter that was written that we don't have. But but he watched this church grow in grace and, and in faith. He guided them through difficulties of of sin and, and ethics, teaching them to stop abusing their gifts and showing them to pursue the most excellent way of love, And and yet they're not trusting the apostle and so he's here trying to express the sincerity and the, the transparency the transparency of his ministry among them can you hear and can you hear the ache he has for them to see in, to see his heart when he says and even if our gospel is veiled It's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, in other words, he's saying, saying, I've not been deceitful. There's been no masquerading. I don't have any hidden agendas. There's no gaslighting. Paul's saying, I've been unmasked. With all of you, but even if the God, but even if the good news is masked, it's not me who's masking it. It is the God of this world who blinds minds so they cannot see the gospel of the glory of Christ, the transfigured Jesus. But you know why he says this? You see, is it, it's it's until because Jesus, it's, un, it's because G, until Jesus is transfigured. We are all born believing a delusion. We're under a delusion. We're all born under a lie about what the nature of reality is and who we really are. You say, no, I'm not. Well, see, there you go. You don't believe it. (laughs) Archbishop William Temple, he was the Archbishop of Canterbury back in the uh, last century, middle of the last century, 50s and 40s, but he said, he said this, and it was, this is great. He said, when we open our eyes as babies, we see the world stretching out around us. We are in the middle of it all. All we see is determined by the relation of all objects to ourselves. This will be true as long as we live. I am the, I am the center of the world, I see. Where the horizon is depends on where I stand. The same is true of our mental and spiritual vision. Some things hurt us, we hope they will not happen again. We call them bad. Some things please us. We hope they will happen again. We call them good. Our standard of value is the way things affect ourselves. So each of us takes his place in the center of his own world. But I am not the center of the world, nor do I determine what is good or bad. I am not the center. God is. Do you see see the lie we naturally believe? I am the center of the world. See, that's the lie that the God of this world sells you every day, every minute of the day. It's reinforced repeatedly. And we believe this lie is the truth. But enter Jesus, just like us. We think he is, until we see him transfigured. And then we see him as he really is, glorious. And by him, we are able to see everything else. See, Paul says they can't see the gospel of the glory of Christ. What is his glory? That he is the image of God. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, it's the story of creation. It's the story of creation. It's this the story of Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them created in the image of God the glory of Christ is that he's in the image of God you see what our audience our audience is people who don't believe that they are made in the image of God they don't believe they are perishing now, you may not like the idea that that there are some who are perishing, but and the blindness is the devil's fault, but we don't know who these people are. We don't know, you know, they're 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 marked by they they're marked in their perishing because of their unbelief. And this was all of us at one time. <laughs> this is all of, this was all of us at one time. And to continue, so, let me back up. But don't miss, don't miss the mercy here because the good news of the glory of Christ is being shown before them right now as the birth of Christ, his death, his resurrection is preached right now. So to continue in unbelief after you've heard the gospel is to be willingly blind. You're complicit in the God of this world's rebellion. Do you see what our, our audience is missing? See, they aren't seeing Jesus who is showing us who we're supposed to be, the image of God. They don't see that their unbelief keeps them complicit in the devil's blinding of their minds. It's as if, you know, they set a trap for someone else, but they themselves have fallen in. See, what power is it, though? What power is it that's there that can remove that veil? Well, the power is in the second point, the view of our proclamation. Look at verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul and his companions have worked to take a view of themselves that aligns with the gospel of the glory of Christ. He says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. You see, Paul is saying the good news doesn't begin with me. Now, isn't that counter the culture? that see everyone is seeking to proclaim themselves the practice of Paul's day is to boast Is to boast of the house from which you were born and Paul sometimes would would he wrote of people who were from a particular house he said in in first uh, corinthians 16 verse 19 the household of Stephanus were the first converts of a or when luke is writing about why Joseph and Mary, has to, they have to go to Bethlehem. He says, that, he says this, it's because he is of the house and lineage of David. You see, in the Roman world, proclaiming and promoting your house, it's the way that you made it in the world. It's the way that you got, it's the way that you, that you achieved things. It's, you were known, you boasted of your house. I'm of the house of Caesar. So today, the culture tells, you, tells people to proclaim themselves whatever they imagine themselves to be. And this seems natural. It feels natural that this is right. Stephanie Germinata wrote a popular song telling you to proclaim yourself. She's saying, I'm beautiful in my way because God makes no mistakes. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Don't hide yourself in regret, just love yourself and you're set. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. See, self-proclamation. Proclaim yourself, whatever it is you imagine yourself to be. It seems natural. Yet, in 2014, three scientists conducted a study titled, You Call It Self-Exuberance, I Call It Bragging. The Misplaced Predictions of Emotional Responses to Self-Promotion. Isn't that a great title? (laughs) I love it. (laughs) But here's their their premise. Their premise is this. People engage in self-promotional behavior because they want others to hold favorable images of them. Self-promotion, however, entails a trade-off between conveying one's positive attributes and being seen as bragging. We propose that people get this trade-off wrong because they erroneously project their own feelings onto their interaction partners. As a consequence, people overestimate the extent to which recipients of their self-promotion will feel proud of and happy for them and underestimate the extent to which recipients will feel annoyed. Because people tend to self-promote excessively when trying to make a favorable impression on others, such efforts often backfire, causing targets of the self-promotions to view the self-promoter as less likable and as a braggart. So see, I'm sure they didn't intend for that to be humorous, but it is. Yeah, because in other words, you know, yeah, you might like talking about yourself, but nobody else does. and here, popular music and science doesn't seem to agree on the value of proclaiming oneself. The text here, though, our, our scripture reading, it counters pop music and popular culture, but science, it's somewhat agreeable with the text. Uh, yeah, because you know, it, it feels natural to promote yourself, but Paul says that's not what we do. We're not proclaiming ourselves, so... So here's a, here's a little here's a little here's a little self examination. In ministry, how do you know if you are proclaiming yourself? Well, anger. Anger when, when people don't accept you in, in 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 as is an indication that you are proclaiming yourself. Quitting. When you see, when it seems like you're, you're not being thanked for gifts and skills that, that are employed in a, a project. Feeling envy over someone else's recognition. You might, be, you might be proclaiming yourself. Being inflexible and insisting that things have to be done your way. And here's one to think about. Being paternalistic, being paternalistic, doing for other people what they can do for themselves. You might be proclaiming yourself. I'm your savior, I'm your help. Be dependent on me to help you. So, so doing for other people what they can do for themselves. That, all These are all indicators that you are proclaiming yourself. And you need As Paul, submit, submit your ego, submit your glory to Christ's. You see, Paul says that we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And what, what shapes what we proclaim is a transcendent person, Jesus Christ. And his name says it all. He's the Savior. Through him, we have been brought to the Father. He's the Messiah. His accomplishment on the cross is what has brought us peace with God and with one another. Through Jesus Christ, he has done it all for us. And Paul says, because I trust in him the view we take of ourselves, is that we are slaves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. My glory, Paul is saying, is is not tied to results or success, or whether you like me or not. And rather than ego and and self-promotion, the work of Christ now shapes the view of myself and any accomplishment, That is not, it's not for me, but it's for him. Christ's work shapes my view of others too. As I now see them as worthy of my service. So what if our church took this view of our proclamation? What if we see ourselves as slaves to one another for Jesus' sake? To our community? You see, if you have this understanding, then you might work without being superior or feeling inferior. See, people might begin to trust that, that you, act, you actually have sight. You really can see. And you're genuinely helping them to come out of blindness. See, and having this kind of, of heart and love for what we proclaim yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it can be exhausting if you're seeking to do it in your own strength. And even if you're not doing it in your own strength, it can be exhausting. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, it's, loving people is exhausting. And no amens come up for that. Yeah, yeah, because it, 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 it's hard to love people. And then it's hard to love people who come from different backgrounds and and cultures and our different ethnicities that makes it even harder so yeah so then yeah yeah, this is why we need the transfiguration of Jesus this is why we need to see his glory he's having this kind of heart how what sustains us on this mission well this is the next thing the last thing verse verse six the voice summoning projection. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But well, so far, we, we have seen our audience, the perishing who are under a veil, and we've seen the, our view, the view of our proclamation that it's not self proclaiming, it's not self promotion, but it's Christ. So, how do we stay on mission? doesn't it feel sometimes it might feel it might feel this way it seems as if we're always trying to prove something to the watching world yeah i mean and it and it can feel that way but no that's not the case it's not the case of, of us proving anything to the world rather this is our response to a summons see the text says for God who said let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So this is a summons. It's a summons. That, see that Greek word for shine is lampo, and the word for light is photismos. And and now these words, So to to shine means to radiate, and uh, to to the word for light means to illuminate. Both things. That a projector would do. See, projectors are used. I mean, we're using one now. I mean, well, it's not. I see it. I see it back there. The project. It still works. (laughs) Yeah, but yeah. So, so. But it's to make things evident. It's to make that object known. And this is, this is what God has done in us. And this summons is to project the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And this is like an act of creation when Jesus called light to come out of darkness. Only this light is it's of the knowledge of the glory of God shining in our hearts. God summons it. And when God summons, you have no choice. But to obey. And his call is the power that keeps us going. Did we read, did you listen to Psalm 50, verse 1? The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. You see, he summons the earth. The call goes out generally. But then, in verse 4, you see this. He calls to the heaven above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me, my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. See, there's a summons. There's a summons. And this summons, it goes into the hearts of God's people. And then God's people are now giving that summons. So... His faithful ones who have made, with whom God has made a covenant with by sacrifice, that sacrifice enables their sight. You see, the call is effectual. It happens. But the question is, where is the sacrifice? So this call is being made, this call, this summons goes out. Where's the sacrifice? And who made the sacrifice? Well, the sacrifice, it's not an animal, but it's a person. Jesus Christ. See, he's the light that shines out of the darkness and has shone in our hearts. Christ's Glory is the good news that removes the veil from the perishing. Jesus Christ as Lord is the message we proclaim. And ourselves are now submitted and given to promote him. See, in Christ, we are continually summoned to let the knowledge of the glory of God shine in our hearts until we see the face of Jesus Christ. Yeah, so see, the Corinthians may reject you even though you've been laboring among them and you've been serving them, you've been, and and you have seen yourself as a slave with them. They may reject you. They may not trust you anymore. They may not trust you in this moment. But how do you keep going? It's that summons. God has spoken. He has called light out of darkness in your heart. You can't change that. You continue to trust even though you are hurt. And in Christ, yes, we, can, we are continually summoned to let the knowledge of the glory of God shine in our hearts until we see the face of Jesus Christ. Yesterday, my mother-in-law, see, you know, when I was at home doing this, it didn't bother me at all. But my mother-in-law, she went home to be with the Lord Saturday morning. I can't say enough about what I think of that that woman, and her, and the life that she lived. Nobody knows her. None of you know her. I mean, well, some of you do because she's visited us here at the church before, and she's she's come down. But uh, she's lived her life in rural America. In rural America, became a Christian as a as a child. Did some things that people thought was crazy. But all of her life, she loved Jesus. Just shy of her 90th birthday, she is seeing Jesus face to face. Yeah. Connie made sure I had a napkin, even though she's not a uh, handkerchief, even though I'm not here. Even though she's not here. She even texts people to say, hey, make sure Kenny's got a handkerchief. <laughs> nah, nah. She's seeing Jesus face to face. That's why you can't stop. That's why you don't give up. That's why, you, that's why you keep going. It's because you want to see Jesus face to face. What a glory that will be. The hymn writer said, Oh, oh, that will be. In verse 3, it says, When by the gift of his infinite grace I am accorded in heaven a place. Just to be there and to look on his face will through the ages be glory for me. Oh, that will be glory for me, glory for me, glory for me, when by his grace I shall look on his face, that will be glory, be glory for me. That, that's the sight that we need. J. Trevor Woodham, Chief of Surgery at Woodham's Eye Clinic writes about people getting their sight. He said, in the case where a person has been severely visually handicapped from childhood, gaining sight is usually not experienced as such a wonderful thing. It's difficult to imagine, but what we see out there is not a passive input of data, but rather a projection onto the world out there of how we have learned to interpret that visual data. Yes, visual performance is more like learning a language. If you have not learned how to see because of some reversible impediment to images entering the eye, by the time you are physically mature, about age 13, you will probably never be able to make sense of all those shapes and colors. Did you know that that's how the eye works? That's how vision works? Think about this. See, Christ came into the world to show us that we are blind. He helps us to see what is real. And looking through Christ, we begin to project onto the world out there the interpretation of the visual data. Seeing him helps us to see everything else. If you don't see through him, you will never learn how to see. Christ is our miracle worker. At Anne Sullivan's funeral, Bishop Freeman said of her, "Among the great teachers of all time, she occupies a commanding and conspicuous place. The touch of her hand did more than illuminate the pathway of a cloud, of a clouded mind. It literally emancipated a soul." Yeah. But think about this: Christ, on the cross, with his hands stretched out, illuminated. The darkness, darkness could not overcome the light. He illuminated the darkness and became light for us, shining in our hearts. He is, John says, the true light that that lights every man that comes into the world, emancipating everyone who comes to him by faith. So here's the question is the transfiguration of Jesus transforming you. You see, through Christ, you and I can make sense of all these people who are different shapes and colors. So let me tell you what, what happens when, we, when what we proclaim is, is not ourselves. Ethnic divisions and tribalism cease. The African learns to love the European Koreans learn to love black people. The Chinese learn to love Greeks. Japanese learn to love Germans. Guatemalans learn to love Mexicans. Hindis learn to love Pakistanis, and, and on and on. Because God is gathering, he is summoning his people from all nations. See, and once you can see, you can never unsee. Once you have sight, you can never go back to being blind. See, that's Paul's experience, and it's the experience of everyone who has been brought to life by grace through faith in Christ. Friends, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And may the Lord enable us to live together so transparently that the veil of the perishing is removed. And that the view of our proclamation lifts others up as we lower ourselves. And the voice summoning projection inspires us to pursue being face to face with Jesus Christ to the end. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. In the name of Jesus, thankful for your word and what it, how it speaks to us. Such great, precious promises and truths, Lord, that are just unbelievable. And thank you for giving us sight through your son, oh Lord. And now that we say that we can see, Father, enable us to help others to see Help us, Lord, to rescue the perishing, to care for the dying, to snatch them in pity from sin and the grave, to remove the veil that blinds them, because you, O Lord, have conquered the God of this world, and you are our victory. Help us to walk in it, in Jesus' name. Amen.